Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning, good morning. Hey, uh, before we get into our message today, here at the start of August, of all things, we are in August now. Uh, hey, today, after each service here and at our Northeast campus, we have something we call Starting Point, which is just a brief orientation to who we are as a church. And so if you're new with us, we invite you to just stick around and hear a little bit about who we are, what we're about. We know we're not the church for everybody. We hope we can be the church for anybody. And we want you to figure out, man, is this the spot for you to belong or not? Because this is not an event that you attend. Church is something you're supposed to belong to and use the gifts God has given you for the good works he's prepared for you. And maybe that's here at Mercy Church. You can stick around after the service, 15 minute orientation or so with our leaders. We'll tell you a little bit more about who we are, what we're about, okay? With that said, we are going to begin today a study of the New Testament book of Ephesians, all right? So you got your Bible with you. By the way, I'm so excited to be back preaching with you. Uh, it was a great time in July, taking some time to pray and study and dream for our church, but um, I am pumped for today to be back in God's Word. So you're going over to Ephesians. Uh, the way we think about it, you got the Gospels, then you got Acts, and then you got Romans. You got two letters to the Corinthian church because they were so messed up. And then you have uh, Galatians and then Ephesians. That little section right there, the way I was taught back in Sunday school as a kid is uh, you think General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all right, whatever. So however it works for you, that's how I got taught, all right? Uh, but we're gonna be there in Ephesians. And um, this book, this New Testament book, it's actually a letter. It's a letter. And it just, it got me thinking this week. I was thinking about the nature of this thing. How many of you, actually have a habit of writing letters. I'm talking about sending angry emails, but writing letters. It's kind of a little bit of a lost art to write letters to people you care about. So I started thinking about it this weekend. And so I went back and I found some old letters, some real old letters. My wife, Courtney and I are, um, we've been together long enough and we started dating early enough when I was 15, she was 16. She thought I was 16 because I told her I was 16, but I was really 15. But that's the way, that's a different sermon. Um, but look, when we were, we started writing love letters to one another and man, um, those letters are, they are filled up pages and pages of them. And um, let's just, these are not filled with like instructions. Hey, I need you to do this, do that, do this. No, no, no. These are filled with romantic praise, right? The kind of praise that Shakespeare wishes he could have written. They're awesome. And I'm not gonna share them at all with you today. Um, but that's what they are. Letters, they, they're impactful as you take the time to think through it. I'll think about other letters. I remember getting my acceptance letter to UNC and how much that impacted me because I'm looking ahead to the next four years of my life or thinking about a letter I got as I was graduating UNC from my aunt who just shared some things, life lessons that she had. And 
uh, the promise to kind of be there for me and everything else that I've kept with me still 23 years later. Listen, powerful, the most powerful letters, and I bet you can resonate with this. The most powerful letters carry words that matter from people that matter. Those are the keepers, right? So I still have those love letters from a long time ago. Meaningful words given inside the context of meaningful relationship. The relationship makes the words matter a lot more. The most powerful letters carry words that matter from people that matter. What we're opening up in Ephesians is a letter from a pastor who's in prison right now for preaching the gospel. And he's writing to the young church that he founded in a major city called Ephesus. That's why it's the letter to the Ephesians because they were in Ephesus. If we were to get a letter, it'd be like the letter to be the book of the Charlotteans or something like that. We're in Charlotte, you know what I'm saying? He can't text them. He can't email them. He's in prison. He's got one letter and he's 2000 years before texting and emailing, right? So he thinks long and hard about what to write and he pours his heart and his mind out to them. And the deep bond that they have with him makes his words matter all the more. But then there's an even greater layer to it as we open it up today. Because God didn't just let this pastor named Paul write this letter just for the church in Ephesus. Certainly it is that. But God in his infinite wisdom and power inspired this letter to be a letter from God himself to all churches in all times. So here in our Bible that we're opening up today sits a letter from God to us. I I need to say it again. A letter from God Almighty Creator, Sustainer, to us. And I I say that because it might sound ordinary to church folk to just open up to the book of Ephesians. But if you were to go, I mean, think about how you go to your mailbox today. You get a certified letter from um, a USPS certified mail from, I don't know, the governor of North Carolina. You're like, whoa, it opens up, see what's going on. The reality is there are 50 governors just in our country. There's a bunch of presidents and kings in our world There is one God, one God. Y'all, if powerful letters carry words that matter from people that matter, how, what could matter more than this? I hope your eyes and your heart will devour this letter as such. It's not long. Y'all, this thing, look, in my Bible, I don't know about in yours, in mine, I think it's three pages, right? This is, this is it. That, if you will take the next several weeks while we're in it together, and devote yourself to that, you'll become a Bible expert. I mean, that might be a little bit overstating it, but you are going to learn a lot about who God is and how he's called you to live just from this short little letter. It's written, think about this. It's written to help a young church flourish in a metropolitan pre-Christian city. We receive it as a young church in a metropolitan post-Christian city. Paganism was the dominant religion of their day. Secularism is the dominant religion of our day. They needed help applying this faith to real life. So do we. In its simplest breakdown, this letter has three chapters at the beginning that are all doctrine, followed by three chapters at the end, all instruction. In other words, the first half is all about who we are in Jesus. Some of the greatest theological language in the whole Bible. The second half is filled with fantastic practical application of that theology of who we are in Jesus into places like marriage, family, work, friendships, culture, conflict, forgiveness, our purpose in life, and a whole bunch of other everyday things. This is God's 
letter to us. Now, y'all, it's not going to narrate a bunch of events like um, if you've been with us for a little bit. First and Second Samuel was a historical narrative. It was telling us what happened. This is going to recall some events, namely the death and resurrection of Jesus, because we're looking at it on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But then it's going to tell us why Jesus matters. And by the way, it's not written to you individually. That's going to be very important. There will be plenty of individual application, but it's written to his local church, to us. So I invite you to receive it as a part of this local church, as a part of local church. In fact, I was so encouraged this morning. I'm standing and singing this morning and hearing the voices of God's people encouraging one another, whether it's in trial and trusting that he is faithful, even in the midst of trial, or just hallelujah, it all belongs to you. We're singing praise to our God. I'm reminded of how vital it is to just be alongside of you and be encouraged by your voice and you be encouraged by mine. And that's the context the letter was written into, to the local church. So I invite you to take steps with your local church. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's even starting point today. I don't know what it's going to be, but I invite you to receive this as a member of the body and not just you in isolation. In fact, maybe it's a little bit of an exercise, not only in that, but to honor what we're reading, God's word to us, God's letter. Why don't we do this? We're going to, today is going to be the first 14 verses of chapter one. Just going to walk our way through this over the fall um, or over the blazing hot summer and then fall. Um, But why don't we stand at all of our campuses, um, Northeast Union County and here at Providence Road, just in honor of reading God's word and letting maybe our body posture of standing to attention almost guide our hearts a little bit that we should be attentive to God's word. And I'll read it for us. The first 14 verses of chapter one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished, lavished on us and the beloved one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. That's the word of God for the people of God today. You could be seated. All right. What we're going to do is we're just going to kind of walk through this thing. 
In this letter, the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage the faithful saints, that small band of believers that were from a bunch of different backgrounds now together in the church. The goal to strengthen their hearts and sharpen their minds for living their faith in a hostile world. And he starts by showing them what we're seeing today is the many blessings they have if they are in Jesus. That's what I want to show you today. That theme in Jesus is going to run through the whole letter. It's going to run through our whole series, our whole time. Paul is going to tell us today such great things about those in Jesus. I think that's what you just heard. And they needed every last one of them. Ephesus was tough. I said earlier, it's a big city. In fact, this is the third largest city in the whole Roman Empire. It's situated right on the west coast of Turkey. It's a port city, so it's kind of a hub for commerce and for culture. I mean, this is even the home of like uh, Mark Antony and Cleopatra made their home here and several others that were real known like whatever other Jay-Z and Beyonce of the day would come through and this would be a spot for them. It was just that kind of cultural hub. And on top of that, at the center of the pagan, uh, of its paganism was the temple of Artemis. And this isn't just any temple. This is still one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, kind of significant temples, right? And Artemis is the god of fertility. So sexual immorality, uh, prostitution, and everything else was so common that it was even a part of their religious worship. That's a tough environment for a young church. Temptation everywhere, and most people don't believe what they believe, which sounds a little bit like today. If you don't think sexual freedom and expression is a God that our culture worships, you have been living under a rock. They had hundreds of gods in Ephesus, so they were a pluralistic society, but the kind of pluralistic society where everyone deferred to and did not challenge the pagan way. This is our society. Pluralistic, lots of religions and beliefs, but you better defer to and not challenge the secular way. Right? If in their day, you'll be killed. In our day, you'll be canceled. Yet Christianity says there is one God. Their culture didn't like it. Our culture doesn't like it. What I'm trying to show you is we need this letter. They needed encouragement that God really did have a better way. And so do we, the faithful, the faithful saints here and now. The rest of the passage for today, verses uh, 3 through 14, <laughs> in the original Greek, it is one sentence, which is a theologian's treasure trove and an English teacher's nightmare. But that is what we have for us, okay? My goal is to just excavate the promises God gives to us on who we are in Jesus. And I want to recognize that kind of puts us in two camps. If you are in Jesus, you are to be filled and encouraged by who you are and what God has given you. But also recognize what I love about our church is that there's some of you here that are kind of checking out Jesus and you're not in Jesus. You're not a follower of Jesus. I want you to see, yes, what you're missing out on, but I want you to be aware, right? Aware that there is a difference here. You don't just get this because you show up and are around church. It's for those who have placed their faith, given their lives to Jesus. And I want to beg you and implore you, man, believe on Christ today, today. This is it. In fact, if you've got notes, our outline today is what God has promised us in Jesus. And we're just going to make a list, all right? In Jesus, what has God promised you? What has God promised me in Jesus? I'm just trying to give you encouragement because man, that's what the letter's trying to do. Um, all right, verse three. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
blessed. Paul is following the pattern of scripture that just, it starts out by praising God before getting into anything else. If this were a song, we call it a song of praise. It's praising God, the father of our Lord Jesus. In fact, the word blessed is three times in this little verse. It's an adjective, a verb, and a noun. Because that's when you speak a blessing over somebody, you declare it. You give them that adjective. You're declaring it over them. It's about them. It's an acclamation of praise. And when you receive a blessing, you receive what someone else has done for you that is worthy of praise. This verse has all of that. So cool. He says, blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Here's our first thing. What God has promised us in Jesus, show this is the opener, abundant forever blessing. That is not a bad start. It actually is a, in many ways, verse three is the summary statement of everything else we're about to hear. And it, but it's a summary like a catch-all. Like I'm about to give you some specifics, but that's not to limit the nature of the blessing. It's just to highlight some of them. God, if you're in Jesus, if you are in Jesus, you have the full array of blessings available in heaven. God in heaven has opened up his home to you and said, everything you will ever need, it's yours. That's the power of this letter. Because when you don't feel blessed here and now, when life feels a little more like a spiritual desert, it says, draw your mind and heart back to the waterfall of promises that are not only available to you, but are secured for you in Christ Jesus. There's a, um, an old uh, thing I learned a long time ago about following Jesus. It was called the fact, faith, feeling train. All right. And so your feelings, and this is big because there's a whole lot of like um, emotional frenzy. It's easy to get stirred up, but let your emotions kind of lead you in your faith. But your emotions go everywhere all the time, right? They're fickle. And say, well, what should actually start is the fact of who you are in Christ and what he has done for you and what he has said about you should lead your faith and your feelings should follow as the caboose and be led by the fact and faith. And that's a little bit what Paul's getting after today is listen to just who you are and let your feelings follow that. Verse four, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. What God has promised us in Jesus, we are forever chosen. He chose you and I in Jesus. That may be the greatest hope God is reminding us of in this letter. Before, listen, before Genesis 1-1, before the beginning, he chose us. Our God created the beginning. He created time. He sits outside of time. Now he did voluntarily enter into it when Jesus came to earth, but he exists outside of it. He looked on every believer that would ever be and the almighty King said, I choose you. That is so powerful. When you feel left out, come on, when you feel overlooked, when you feel forgotten, the point is you're not an accident or an afterthought or an extra in Christ, we are chosen. In fact, I'm going to get a little nerdy with you. I'm going to do that several times in this letter. Um, so just embrace it, okay? There are 202 words in this 11-verse sentence in the Greek, 202. In those 202, there are 24 verbs or actions. Of those 24 verbs, God is the one doing 20 of them, and we do four. Listen, 
Verse three, God blesses. Verse four, he chooses. Verse five, he predestines and adopts. Verse six, he bestows grace. Verse seven, he redeems and forgives. Verse eight, he lavishes. Verse nine, he makes known and he purposes. Verse 10, he unites together in Christ. Verse 11, he works. Verse 13, he seals. Listen to the four that we do. We listen, we receive, we believe, and we hope. In case you thought you had any work to do in your salvation, nope. In the transaction, so to speak, Jesus does all the saving and we do all the sinning. Like that's our thing that we do. We just believe. It's awesome. He chose us. In fact, verse five, I love this. The way the original language puts it, it puts in love. And then it says he predestined. In different translations, we're trying to figure out where to put that in love spot. But the original one just puts it right at the beginning of this sentence, which is actually very important. This is an act of love the father has done for you. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now I gotta stop here. We've seen this word chosen, seen this word predestined. We're gonna see predestined again in a minute. So it's worth pausing and just having a brief, what does this mean? Sort of pastoral aside. The first thing I want you to see as God introduces the idea, this idea of his, he sits outside of time, has predestined us for the foundation of the world kind of language. Where did he put this idea? He put it in a letter to the church he loves. He put it in the context of a relationship. You have to see the relationship first because the relationship is the point, right? The blessing you receive is in Jesus. And so you receive it as a child of God. And then in that context, you finite human can try to understand the mysteries of an infinite God. Let's start by majoring on the relationship. What does God promise us in Jesus? Forever family. Isn't that powerful? You're not just chosen to be in the kingdom of God. You're chosen to be in the family of God. You're chosen for relationship with God where he's your loving father. In fact, this kind of blew my mind thinking about it. It always does. You realize he created humanity to bear children. The way we are to procreate is done in such a way so that we would have a relationship with our children and we would have a relationship with our parents to try and help us understand God's relationship to us. That's why he created you the way that he didn't create humanity, the way that he did. It's amazing. Now, let me try and unpack this predestined language in light of that relationship. We're going to deep dive into a divine mystery that has left theologians in awe for centuries, and I'm going to give it five minutes, okay? And the reason I'm only giving it five minutes is because figuring out the mystery of God's sovereignty and our free will or our responsibility, that's not Paul's objective in this letter. This letter is to encourage and equip you it's not an academic textbook meant to merely educate you. So five minutes, if you're like, I don't understand some of the things you just said. Well, then for five minutes, you can take a breath, okay? And I will be right back, all right? So here we go. So God chose you and predestined you, which means he has always chosen you. Let's ask some questions in light of that. First, why did God choose us? He chose us because fathers love their children. That's why. Was it our potential? Did God see me and think, man, we can get that one saved. Could do some big things. Nope. In fact, a great verse on this, Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8, God says to Israel, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all peoples. It is because the Lord loved you. We didn't have a lot to offer. We had nothing. A couple of weeks, you're going to see we were dead 
in our trespasses and sins. And yet God loved us. A father doesn't love, doesn't choose to love his children because of their potential. I used to play this little game with my kids where they would sit in the back seats when they were younger. And it just time to time, I'd be like, hey, why does daddy love you? And they would say, what? I'd say, does daddy love you because you played a really good four-year-old soccer game today? No. Well, does daddy love you because you're super cute and funny at home? No. The point over and over, I would tell them, and they knew, eventually they knew it was coming. Why does daddy love you? Because we're your kids. What am I trying to do there with them, with that little game that now they're a little bit older? Like, oh, gosh, we're going to do this again, right? It's to... But it's to instill this idea that I don't love them based on their performance or what they look like, what they can do, what they might do one day. I love them because they're my kids. That's God's word to us. He loves you because you're his child if you're in Christ. Was it because your sin wasn't as bad as other people's sins? Nope, you were just as bad. There's no kind of bad sin and really bad sin. Everyone was dead in their sins. Even Israel, when God says he chose them, he said, you're, in fact, you're stubborn. You're stubborn people. I did, I'm blessing you not because of anything you did. It's not like God looked down and said, man, I'm gonna bless you because I know there's still good in you. That's a scene from Star Wars. That is not Holy Scripture. There's no good in you or in me. Fatherly love, which is trying to hear, there's nothing to do with merits of the child. It doesn't even really need an explanation. God doesn't love you because you're lovely. He loves you because he loves you. Y'all shared this quote from um, uh, back in the older days, a few hundred years ago, pastor, a couple hundred years ago, pastor Charles Spurgeon. Here's what he said about this very idea. He said, I have no questions that God chose me because I'm quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should have never chosen him. I'm sure he chose me before I was born or else he would have never chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. He loves me because he loves me. Now, does God's choice mean I don't have any free will, any autonomy? No, it does not. God closes out the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible saying, whosoever will, let them come. God calls salvation a gift that we are to receive and we're to believe. So there's action on our part. Ephesians 2 is going to say, by faith we are saved. So how does it all work? Well, Jesus pulled back the curtain on this mystery just a little bit in John 6. He said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So God creates the hunger that draws us to himself. It's not that we didn't have the ability to choose him. We did. We didn't have the desire to choose him. God comes along and redirects, redeems our desire and directs it towards him. It's my favorite part of my job. When God starts changing somebody's heart and they're like, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) I know I want to hear more. I think I want God. That's where some of you are right now. It's why you're here. Some things have happened both around you, maybe also in you, and you can't explain it, but it's hard to believe. But here you are listening to a sermon in church. This time last week, last year, maybe last night, you were in a very different place, but now you're here and you find yourself thinking, how did you of all people wind up in church? What is happening? First of all, welcome. We are glad that you are here. This is the same thing all of us have gone through. There's a story in the gospels of this blind man that encounters Jesus. Jesus heals his sight. And people start asking him all these questions about this guy. And he's like, I don't know. 
I don't really know what's going on. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see, and I'm going to stick with the guy who gave me sight. I'm keep trying to find out more. So if that's you, just know God is the one that's brought you this far. He's drawing you. Lean into that, and we're here to help. And if you're asking the question, well, am I chosen? Well, have you chosen to repent of your sin and believe in Christ for your salvation? If the answer is yes, then you are chosen. And if that confuses your brain, aren't you glad God is bigger than your brain? Five minutes are up. Let's get back, okay? Verse six. He says, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Here's another thing. God has promised us in Jesus. Abundant forever grace. See that word lavished? It means lavished. That's just what it means. It's reserved for when something, you know this, something that has great value is given in great abundance. You know what I mean? But it's got to have great value. Like you can't lavish Cheetos on anybody. You know what I mean? Because it's not great value in it. You can dump Cheetos, right? You can't lavish Cheetos. Now you can lavish a two inch thick reverse seared medium rear steak with hardcore carnivore black seasoning on it. You can lavish food, but it's gotta be worthy food, right? God has given his extremely valuable grace, the most valuable thing in the cosmos. He's given it to you in abundance. How? In the beloved one, that's Jesus. So my question, guys, is that how you describe God's grace? Is that how you think about God's grace in your life? Priceless and abundant. Paul describes it that way because Paul remembers the sinner he was when God saved him. If God's grace has become unremarkable to you, maybe it's because your sin has become unremarkable to you. I want to challenge you on that, guys. If you aren't in awe of his grace, perhaps you aren't properly disgusted by or terrified of your sin and its consequences. Grace is only amazing because it saved a wretch like me. Has your sin disgusted you enough or you just become kind of complacent and tolerant of it? Speaking of, verse seven. Oh man, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches. There it is, there, again, the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. What God has promised us in Jesus is forever redemption. And what he's doing with that forgiveness of our trespasses, he's gonna clarify it and he's gonna keep doing it. Man, does it come up in chapter two? We'll see as well. It's clarifying redemption through his blood. The goal of this letter is to encourage you guys who you are in Christ. The gospel is the announcement that God has decided according to the riches of his grace to extend forgiveness to sinners like you and me. You and I have sinned, which means we've chosen our way over God's way and that sin comes with a price. I've told you that many times. Like if you come over to my house and you break something, Somebody has got to pay for it. And if I forgive you, say, hey, don't worry about it. Well, then what I'm saying is I am choosing to pay. It didn't just, the thing doesn't just magically heal because I say, don't worry about it, I forgive you. No, somebody's got to pay for it. Our sin comes with a price. And the announcement of the gospel is that you sinned against God. Didn't accidentally break something, by the way. No, you willingly went against your heavenly father's instructions because you thought your way was better. That's sin and it can only be paid for in blood. And Jesus went up on the cross to shed his blood in our place. So our debt is forgiven. Man, 
Uh, that little analogy in my home, that's just a little silly analogy. What a way bigger debt and way bigger cost when it comes to the gospel. Verse nine, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, things in heaven and on earth in him. It was God's good pleasure. How great is that to give us his son? He made Christ both the head of creation, but also the heart. He reigns as the head with the father, but is also the heart by which all things are held together and function together. This letter from God is trying to let you in on what we can't see. He's trying to comfort and encourage you that his plan for the world and the heavens for you, it's still on track. His plan is still on track. You might need that today. This might be exactly what you need today. God has not forgotten you, but also life is not actually out of control. Might be out of control in your world, but it's not out of control in his world. And he has called you his child. He has poured out his grace and love on you. And he said, no, no, my plan is still on track for you and for my world. Verse 11, in him, we've received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. Why? So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. Here's another one, what God has promised us in Jesus. We got a forever home, the inheritance. This is pretty cool. The church is actually God's inheritance. Full union with him in heaven, that's our inheritance. One day we'll experience the full glory of the presence of God the Father. Inheritance is usually a word reserved for something that loved ones leave behind. But for Christians, it's a great treasure and it's given by one we're waiting to see in the future. Why? Verse 12, so that we can bring praise to his glory. In him, you're also sealed, verse 13, with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The last thing, maybe next to the last thing, what God has promised us in Jesus, salvation secured forever through his Holy Spirit. You catch what's happened now just in 14 verses. How beautiful is this? All three members of the Godhead working together to author, execute, and secure our salvation. God the Father is the source of our salvation. God the Son is the means of our salvation. And God the Holy Spirit is the keeper of our salvation. What is our role? (laughs) We listen, we receive, we believe, and we hope. We listen, we receive, we believe, and we hope. As a down payment, as a promise to you, the Holy Spirit is of the eternity we have coming for us. He gives us the Holy Spirit here and now. And y'all, here's what that means. Like every time we're convicted of sin, every time we pray and we sense God guiding us a certain direction, every time we hear a word from a brother or sister in Christ that feels like, oh man, that's like, that's straight from God. That is exactly what I needed to hear, when I needed to hear it. I love, I kind of refer to all that as like God moments. And every one of those God moments, sometimes, by the way, a God moment is when, God makes himself so obvious that even a dummy like me could kind of see that it's happening. God is working. All those God moments are the down payment reminding us we're secure and something better is coming. What has God promised us in Jesus? Abundant forever blessing. We are forever chosen. We have a forever family. We have forever redemption, a forever home and forever security in the Holy Spirit. Man, Paul chose to open his letter big, a big anthemic announcement there to lift our hearts. 
chosen by God through the power of God for the glory of God, all praise be to God. What should this do for us? I had a couple of thoughts. I mean, the bulk of this is just, I wanted you to hear who you are in Christ. Here's a couple of, how does this apply today as you walk out? Because we're in Jesus, we can have peace with how we view ourselves, how we view ourselves. So if you're dealing with self-loathing, the promise that we're chosen in Christ is powerful. It's the antidote to self-loathing because there's nothing you can do to lose his love. He loves you because he loves you. So when you're down on yourself, there's great power in knowing God the Father loves you. If you have a habit though of thinking too highly of yourself, well, remember you're not chosen because your status, mind, pedigree, willingness to submit or anything else. You're saved because he loves you. So that should humble you. In my experience, by the way, is most people who present themselves as prideful are actually highly insecure internally. Good news, what God says about you is secure. So you can have peace and stop trying to impress everybody so much. We can have peace in how we view ourselves. We can also have peace, have hope in our trials because we're in Jesus. Verse 11, predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with his will. What things does God work out according to his plan? Everything. So no matter what you're dealing with or going through, it's nothing compared to the glory of what's coming. The value of what is guaranteed is to overwhelm the cost of anything God asks you to endure here. It's not making light of it. It's just saying in comparison. So you can strengthen your tired hands and weak knees, as Hebrews says, and endure suffering even with joy because of what's coming is guaranteed. We have hope. Our faith says God chose us. God secured us. God is with us. God has prepared a place for us and nothing can change who God is or what he has done for us. Here's the last thing. Because we're in Jesus, not only can we have peace in how we view ourselves, hope in our trials, and we can have confidence in evangelism. I just wanna hopefully inflame your hearts a little bit with this. Throughout scriptures, the scriptures God sent to us, his church, is what it says, is to share the gospel with the lost. Some will say, yeah, but if he already predestined who he will choose, why does it matter? Well, for the apostle Paul, it was actually God's choosing that motivated him to go share the gospel. Acts 18, God says to Paul, don't be discouraged in your preaching. I got a lot of people. I have many people in this city. God had them, but they hadn't believed yet. That put courage into Paul's preaching because he expected God to start changing lives as he started sharing the gospel. Same is true for us. I mean, you talk to missionaries and church planners in places where there are no Christians and they'll tell you God's choosing is a big comfort. It gives them hope as they share with the lost. They're working among the fields. They're confident God has a harvest. That's why we say we expect God to change a life today. We do. A mobile pastor um, back when I was in seminary and my head was really hurting with this whole chosen, uh, what's my responsibility in evangelism if God has already chosen everything. He shared with me this quote from A.A. Hodge, which is very blunt and I needed it. And so I'll offer it to you who may be as thick-headed as I am, okay? Here's what he says. A.A. Hodge says, does God know the day you'll die? Yes. Has he appointed that day? Yes. Can you do anything to change that day? No. Then why do you eat? To live. What happens if you don't eat? You die. Then if you don't eat and die, then would that be the day that God has appointed for you to die? Hodge said, quit asking stupid questions and just eat. 
Eating is the preordained way God has appointed for living. Y'all, in the same way, if we don't share Jesus with them, does that mean they aren't elected? That, stop asking stupid questions. Share Christ because that's what God has told us to do. It's the preordained way God has chosen to bring people into his kingdom and leave the rest up to him. And our experience, maybe to sum it all up here at Mercy, is the more people we share the gospel with, the more people keep getting sovereignly chosen by God. Okay? Look, I'm out of time and I want to close with a time of response. We're going to actually transition into communion, but I want to close with a chance for you to really respond to God, this abundant blessings God has for you in Christ and just receive them. Would you, if you would get into a posture of prayer at all of our campuses, uh, Northeast Union County and here at Providence Road, let me guide you in a prayer time. I'll close that out so we can take communion together. Your response is really, actually, I don't know how the Spirit might be leading you to respond. I'm gonna give you a couple of ways and let the Spirit guide you. If you're a Christian, which of these promises in Christ you just need to receive afresh today? Maybe you just need to confess that your sin has become too ordinary. You need to confess that to God. His grace has become too ordinary. Or maybe you just need to praise him and thank him because you don't feel worthy, but he has declared his love over you and chosen you. He's said you're worthy because of who you are in Christ. Receive that. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to receive God's forgiveness of your sins now. Simple prayer. What's our responsibility? It's just to receive. We say, God, I believe that I am a sinner and I do need saving. I believe Jesus died for my sins and I receive his payment on the cross for me. Say, thank you, God, for saving me. Father, we are only who we are because we are in Christ. We worship you for that today. May our hearts be, as the scriptures say, the eyes of our hearts, so they be turned and focused more on you, more in all of you, and your grace in our lives. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to lead you in the um, taking of the communion elements. And what I want to do is, um, gonna, our team's going to start passing that out. You'll see a piece of bread and you'll see a cup. You just receive, receive that. The bread represents the body of Christ and the cup represents his blood shed for us. I want you to hold on to it when you get it. I want you to continue in this time of response and prayer. What God might be leading you to confess, leading you to celebrate in. And then we're all going to take it together and I'll lead us in the taking of those elements. What I will say, if you're not a Christian, let that just pass you by. Don't take it. Don't take it. This is a meal that symbolizes belief. And as we take it, we are saying we believe. So for you to take it would be hypocrisy. And actually scripture say it would even be to eat and drink judgment on yourself. Don't take it. Instead, consider the message that it represents. God's blood shed for you, God's body given for you so that you can have new life. And our invitation for you today is to receive that message. So you continue in a posture of prayer. I'll come back up in just a second and lead us through 
taking these elements together.